Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Old Testament record is one that includes many accounts of God's judgment. He not only judged rebellious and evil persons, but even cities were condemned and judged by God. Today, many people believe that the time of God's judging has passed and that as New Testament believers, we need have no fear of God. But this kind of thinking reflects not only an inadequate understanding of the truth of Scripture, but also a totally inaccurate one as well. In fact, God is still judging. But what is striking to note and most often overlooked in this age of comforting words is that his judgment in this age begins with his own household. Ron Kangas has joined us for the first of a series of programs where we're going to be dealing with this matter of judgment. But I guess the broader topic, Ron, as we've already introduced in this uh, book of First Peter, is God's government. A little-known subject, even by students of the Word, and by ministers of the gospel, even professors of theology. Yeah. Uh, we say that not in any way to uh, depreciate others or belittle uh, the work of others. Our situation was essentially the same for many years. But the book of First Peter, and actually Second Peter as well, has a particular purpose in the New Testament— And its general subject, the Christian life under the government of God, is also striking and particular. As you were giving the opening word, and I was following, I had the thought that, you know, many of those listening right now as we're sharing these thoughts may not like this subject. And maybe in their kind of religious smorgasbord, they can just go on and choose jello or some kind of uh, tasty treat. But we would encourage the Lord's people not to do this. We need all 66 books of the Bible. Every book we need to have opened. We need to receive the revelation in each book, the instruction that's in each book, the supply that comes through each book. And the Lord has brought us to First Peter and First Peter is concerned with the government of God, and the government of God is carried out primarily through his judgment, and it is simply a plain fact in First Peter chapter 4 that this governmental disciplinary judgment of God in this age begins with the household of God. It will first reach us, the believers, the members of God's household. It eventually will touch everything and everyone in the entire universe. So it's not wise to avoid this um, sober truth. It's not wise to uh, 
elude it? Because by ignoring or eluding, we just may delay our growth in grace and our learning of certain basic lessons related to the righteous governmental judgment of God exercised first upon his people so that we can cease from sin and live a life of holiness and righteousness as his testimony. The Lord is determined to have this among his people. Uh, He will carry it out, of course, by the grace of life. But along with the grace of life is the righteous government of God. And we are blessed, and we would do well to take heed to Peter's words, the words of the Scripture, and to be open to receive help and enlightenment through the words of the ministry. So we make no apology for this weighty and serious matter. It's part of the Scriptures. We would not place undue emphasis on it, but since we are in this book, we need to pay attention to its central theme mm. and open ourselves to receive actually a very precious and particular blessing from the Lord through his ministry. First Peter chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For unto this end the gospel was announced also to those who are now dead, that they might be judged in the flesh according to men, but live in the Spirit according to God. But the end of all things has drawn near. Therefore, be sober-minded and be sober unto prayers. Well, that should sober us in and of itself, those words by the Apostle Peter. And now we'll get words from Witness Lee, and then we'll come back to talk about both, Ron. Okay. You know, the entire book is on God's government. And God's government is mainly carried out by God's judgment. And God's judgment is not of only one category, many categories. God's judgments were there in Old Testament time. Firstly, the judgment was exercised over the rebellious angels. In Genesis chapter 6. And then secondly, God's judgment was exercised over Sodom. And then God's judgment was very much oftentimes exercised over the children of Israel in the wilderness. All the children of Israel were under God's judgment time after time. And those judgments exercised by God over the children of Israel put nearly all the two million Israelites to death. They all died under God's judgment. In a good sense, even Moses died under God's judgment. We are told clearly. Aaron died, and their sister, Miriam, died. It's not a small matter. And the two sons of Aaron died under the judgment. You know, one day, 23,000 all got killed by God's judgment. Eventually, out of the two millions, only two persons, Caleb and Joshua. They were not judged by God because they've been faithful all the way in their journey. So they entered into the good land. 
All the rest, everybody, all got saved. All passed through the Passover, all drink the same living water out of the rock, all ate the same heavenly food, all have seen the miracles of God, and every day they lived by a miracle, because every day they lived on the manna from heaven. Yet, they were disobedient to a certain point. Even Moses was a little bit disobedient to a certain point. Even that little bit disobedience caused him to suffer God's judgment. Isn't this serious? This is God's judgment. Ron, it strikes me that there's a lot of misunderstanding related to this topic. Uh, but maybe we've got an example here in the Old Testament, this one we we're just uh, hearing, Moses and uh, the children of Israel, that will help us. Moses did have a weakness, and it came out, and there was a kind of a judgment that he experienced. The Lord in Deuteronomy tells the story how he prohibited him from entering into the good land with the children of Israel. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God was through with Moses in terms of his eternal purpose. So this judgment, this discipline, was not uh, unto a kind of eternal perdition for Moses, but really worked something in God's eternal plan. There are different aspects of judgment in the Scriptures, and we would do well to read the Word carefully and to avail ourselves of the proper opening and interpretation of the Word so we can discern these different aspects or kinds of judgment. There is the judgment that is unto eternal perdition, the judgment according to which unbelievers, uh, whose names are not written in the book of life, who refuse to believe in the Son of God, will perish. That's the judgment at the great white throne mentioned in Revelation chapter 20 then there will be the judgment of the believers at the judgment seat of Christ. And the issue there is not eternal salvation. Eternal salvation by nature and definition is eternal. Once someone is born to be a child of God, he can't be unborn due to unbecoming behavior. But one may be judged and not receive the reward and instead receive a discipline during the kingdom of a thousand years. Then there is the judgment related to discipline and the judgment related to government. Moses made a mistake that touched the government of God among his people. He did not sanctify God when he smote the rock a second time and called the people rebels. He misrepresented God, and as a result, he was judged under God's government He was not permitted to enter into the good land. When he died at the age of 120, he was in good health. He was strong. He had energy. His eyesight was good. But the Bible tells us he died at the word of the Lord. But that does not mean that he perished. That does not mean he will not be used by God in the future. He appeared with Elijah to the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So all of these different kinds of judgment should cause us to slow down and sober up a little bit and not put everything into the same category. And then let's realize that 
Just as the children of Israel were God's redeemed people, but were judged under his government because of their rebellion, the believers may and do experience the same. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians. He appeals to the history of the children of Israel and warns the believers in the church not to live that way, lest we fall under God's judgment. So it is a fact that the entire universe, the unbelievers, the old creation, and the people of God are under God's government, which is carried out by God's judgment. This judgment is serious, it is strict, and it is severe. So we need to be sober, but we also need to realize that this judgment has a goal, and that is that the old creation would be judged in us, the fallen things would be terminated, that we would be constituted with God to live a life of holiness and righteousness unto his glory. We can only do our best, and we admit that it's certainly short, in a few words to try to focus on the main point. And I'm not promoting, really. I'm not selling our products. But the earnest seekers who are aroused by this and have concerns about this should read and reread again and again First and Second Peter. And then get the life study. Get the recovery version with the notes. Consider the interpretation offered in the life study and the notes. Bring it all to the Lord. This is serious business. And in the United States in particular, there are not that many words of righteousness, sober words delivered to the Lord's people from books such as First Peter. This is part of the New Testament canon. It must be part of our ministry. We are devoting a series of broadcasts to it without apology. Judgment under God's government does, in fact, begin with the household of God. Since it begins here, we need to understand it and learn how to properly react to it so we will receive benefit and be humbled under God's hand to receive the marvelous, all-inclusive, all-sufficient grace of God. Well, I'm glad you brought up again this verse uh, about judgment beginning from the house of God. That's where we want to go in this second and last section today. We'll see that chapter 4 also, Ron, brings up the matter of the persecution of the believers for the sake of Christ. And in this portion, we'll see how those two things are very closely connected. Here's Witness Lee. Coming to Peter, we learn a lot of things. In Peter, even the persecutions are considered as judgment. Turn to uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read this verse to you. If you want to know the real meaning of verse 17, you have to read verse 15. Verse 15 of chapter 4, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler into others' affairs. But if you suffer as a Christian, 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. So you see, this is the talking about persecution. Then, because, verse 17, it is time for the judgment to begin from the house of God. The persecution to the believers is the beginning of God's judgment. So by these few verses, you can see in Peter's eyes, the persecutions the believers suffered were God's judgment. Verse 6 says, For unto this end the gospel preached also to the dead, that they might be judged. I questioned, what is this? Judging whom? So I studied, then I found out this word judged here. Just means the very persecutions God assigned to his chosen people. God assigned certain kind of persecution to you, a brother in Christ, to stop you from indulging, you see, your lust. And God assigned another kind of persecution to these brothers to keep them away from sin. And this kind of assigning of persecution is God's governmental judging. And this is the dispensational discipline in order to perfect us, to keep us from being indulgent. Again, Ron, I think we were presented with a thought indisputably from the scripture. These verses are so clear, but this is a thought. It has not come easy to us. It's not comfortable to us. But in fact, that God assigns or allows these persecutions at times to take place as believers as a kind of a judgment on us. This is the thought here. And we need to be careful, and I say again sober, in considering it. We're not making the claim that every instance of persecution suffered by the believers is God's governmental judgment upon them. We're not being that strong. Nevertheless, we need to be faithful to this portion of 1 Peter. The context is that the believers throughout the world, the brotherhood throughout the world, were suffering. They were being persecuted, and they were being persecuted not for wrongdoings, but because they were Christians, because they were believers. Right. So that was their situation. And this is one of the reasons Peter wrote this epistle, was to supply them, to comfort them, to establish them. And in so doing, he was helping them to realize, yes, this is a persecution that is coming upon you as a believer. But you need to realize this persecution is carrying out God's governmental dealing with you, even God's governmental judgment upon you to separate you from the unbelievers to make you uncommon, to sanctify you, to cause you to become holy, to terminate the life of indulging the flesh, 
And Peter even says, He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Generally, when we feel we are persecuted or we hear of others being persecuted, we're ready to assign the heroes' medals. But Peter is not doing this. The rewards will be given in due time to those who merit them at the judgment seat of Christ. Rather, he's telling them, this persecution you are suffering because you are believers is carrying out God's governmental judgment on you so that you would cease from sin and be holy for God's glorious expression. Therefore, humble yourself under God's hand. Do not resist him. Humble yourself. The Lord resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. This is an unpopular word, and it will be unpopular today. But we're not here to be popular. We're here to be faithful to the Lord, to his word, to his ministry, and to his people. God is carrying out his governmental judgment upon the household of God that is upon all the believers, and he will use various things in the environment as instruments to carry out this governmental judgment. And the point we are making, based upon Peter's word, is that persecution may be a means by which God carries out his governmental judgment upon us. If we realize this, and if we are really sustaining some kind of persecution for our faith in Christ, before we pin a medal on ourselves, we would suggest that we all would go to the Lord and open to the Lord, seek him and inquire of him. Why is this happening? Lord, are you trying to deal with something? I would like to open to your light. I would like to humble myself to you. You are a sovereign God. There are no accidents. We do not live in a universe of chance. I will not interpret what is going on. I'd like to bring this to you. Lord, enlighten me. And we may find that at least in a good number of cases, the Lord will identify something in our being, in our living, in our behavior, in our way of serving him that he disagrees with and that he wants to judge and eliminate so that, we say again, we may partake of his holiness and be holy even as he is holy and live righteously even as he acts righteously. All of this unto his glory, unto his corporate expression. I would say in some, in a kind of uh, direct way, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the way it really is. With the word as our basis and with the help of a faithful ministry opening the word, we're telling you this is the way it is God has a government. This government is carried out by judgment. This governmental judgment begins with us. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We can't avoid it. Rather, let us be open 
Let us be enlightened. Let us be humbled. Let us be supplied by the God of all grace. And the outcome of our passing through God's governmental dealing will truly be glorious. Good word to close on. Uh, This has certainly been a word of righteousness, but as you pointed out, Ron, when he presents us with such a word, always comes the supply, and that supply, which the Bible terms grace, is just Christ himself as our supply. It's sandwiched in these verses in chapter 4, with so much talk about judgment, persecution, sufferings, is verse 10, which we didn't get a chance to cover, but I'll at least close with it today. Each one, as he has received a gift, ministering it among yourselves as good stewards of the varied grace of God. We certainly need this uh, in all times, don't we, Ron? We always need his grace. His grace is sufficient. His grace is superabounding. And his grace, according to Peter, is especially for those who humble themselves under his hand. May we all be such. Well, Ron, you made the recommendation that our listeners uh, get these printed life studies. Of course, the recovery version with the footnotes is another tremendous resource. If you'd like to find out about either of these or any of the other things we have available, we invite you to call us toll-free. That number is 1-888-543-3788. And that's all the time we have today. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. To contact us, please call toll-free 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.